waiting for a cue from Travis, but that's not happening tonight, so I'm going to launch straight into it. You are here with us in the cool room, your friends in your ears who talk about beers. I thought of that on the train this afternoon and was very happy with myself and couldn't share it with anyone on the train. Uh, I'm David Griffiths, welcoming you to, I think, episode 80, uh, where we're going to be joined online by our friends from Blackman's Brewery. I'll introduce them in a second. But first of all, good evening, Travis Bristos. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, welcome, guys, to this second outing of Blackman's. Um, there's potentially a crying baby in the background. So, but that's okay. That's, you know, that's how we roll here. Um, David, do we want to kick this straight into the beer or do you want to throw some socials out there and make sure everyone's doing their right thing? Let me very quickly say that um, as ever with these uh, online Meet the Brewers, they're designed to be accompanied by a tasting pack that you can buy from our Shopify. You can find that from our Facebook. Uh, and I'll let people figure all of those bits and pieces out for themselves. We would love it if you followed us on Facebook and Instagram. We would love it if you uh, liked us and rated and reviewed us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you're not joining us live in the Zoom room, and um, we'll throw out a little reminder as well that uh, on the 13th of May, we're going to be doing a live show out at Hopheads uh, in Yarraville, which we're super stoked for. So if you're listening to this before the 13th of May, again, uh, get in touch with Hopheads and you can buy a ticket, which means that you will have all of the right tasting beers in front of you as we sit down and have a yarn with those guys. Um, the beers we're going to be featuring tonight, just so that everyone can have them with them, are the Juicy Juicy Bang Bang, and then the Needs More Mosaic and the Needs More Idaho. Uh, that way you can make sure you've got them. There's some big beers there, both in terms of can size and alcohol, uh, so feel free to make yourself a little tasting paddle if you're joining us live in the Zoom room. Uh, alternatively, feel free to pause the podcast uh, as you're listening to it in podcast version. That way you can um, in savour and enjoy the beers to their maximum potential and not fall over as much uh, as, you, uh, as you listen to all the great yarns about them. I don't know, Travis, I reckon that's about all I've got to say at the moment. Why don't you kick us off and introduce the many friends we have in the room tonight from Blackman's. Well, dude, that was a pretty good intro from you, David. It didn't drag on too long. It was great. Um, we are Gee, welcoming... Sorry to disappoint you in the past, mate. <laughs> and David just opened his beer. Oh, we are... my keyboard. Uh, welcome, Paul, Tristan, and Luke from Blackman's. Um, evening, guys. We are... we are welcoming you back for the second time. Yes, um, thanks for having us again. Which is kind of, I think, just over a year ago you guys were on so um obviously a lot has changed over the course of that year and we'll we'll get to all that sort of stuff um we are going to start by tasting this massive massive juicy bang bang the double boy which i think is this the first time we've started with a double david is that oh it would be very close to i've got to say that 
we're, no, we're not we, mucking around tonight. We finished the night shoes on, on millipedes. And we've just gone straight into it. No mucking about. So um, uh, this is what bogans do. Well, you know. <laughs> um, no shame there. We're gonna we're gonna talk through the beer, and we're gonna talk about your new Grovedale side as we go along. Um, but for the listeners that listen to the podcast, whether they're here in Australia or overseas, um, give us a bit of a breakdown on Blackman's. Um, let's start with you, Paul. Give us an intro as to what you do at Blackman's. Uh, okay. Well, I'm I'm new kid on the block at Blackman's, which is very exciting. Um, so I've been on board just under three months here at Blackman's Brewery. Um, so basically, if you hang around and stalk uh, the team long enough, they give you a job. So that's just a <laughs> bit of advice for all the uh, listeners out there. Um, so not nah, a pretty small community, the craft beer community, so, uh, which is great. Um, so what I do at Blackman's is I'm uh, a sales rep and I look after Melbourne and the Ballarat region. And yeah. Uh, as as what everyone says to me when I meet them, you've got the easiest job in the world. All you do is go talk and drink beer all day long. And yeah, I love what I do. Perfect answer. Uh, Tristan, how about yourself, mate? What do you do with Blackman's? Uh, well, fortunately now Salty's there. I'm no longer the new kid on the block, so I get to pick on him. Um, <laughs> I've been there for about six-ish months now. I'm one of the brewers. Um, yeah, I've been brewing for about five years, all in Geelong. Weirdly enough, I'm um, at a couple of other breweries. So I uh, got on board when Blackman's advertised. Obviously, pretty um, successful brewery with some absolutely cracking beers. So very eager to get on board when they advertised the rolling off me gig. Uh, yeah, being involved in the brewing, do a lot of um, great. Um, yeah, so just involved in the whole brewing site. We're in a big crossover at the moment, which I'm sure we'll get into shortly, where we've got tanks full of two brewing sites and um, – that's obviously adding some excitement and complication to all of our days. Uh, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, uh, let's pull down to Luke and you give us a bit of an intro. And yeah, then, welcome back, Luke. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I could didn't know whether it was a year or a few months. I've lost the ability to track time after COVID, really. It's just before and after, but it's good to see you again. Likewise, mate. For, for people who are wanting to go back and check it out, it was the 6th of June, oh, Series yeah. 3, Episode 22, if you want to go back into the archives, um, which is not a bad thing to do because we're going to try not to cover the same ground again today, and that's why uh, many people will have received the juicy banger in their pack, but um, we're going to go straight into talking about the double tonight. I'm curious, David, did you know that off the top of your head or did you have to do what I did because I was scrolling back on the iPad to try and find the episode? <laughs> yeah, I... Um, which makes me sound. Which do you think is more accurate? The fact that I had to that I had to write it down from notes earlier on, or that? Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, welcome back, Luke. Yes, um, guys, let's uh, before we really get into the beer, um, and we've done this, we did this last year, but I feel like things have changed a bit for you guys. Give us a bit of an insight on on where Blackman's is. Um, Give us a brief outline on your locations and uh, where each of those locations are for us. All right. So we're, um, we were established in June 2014. So we're nearly seven years old as a brewery now, which is um, I've been on board with the team for five years. 
and it's um it's been quite the whirlwind um yeah as we've just opened our third site in Geelong which is it's kind of a work in progress prior to COVID happening and then we, and we had a few weeks where we didn't know whether there'd be any brewery left at all and then all of a sudden we were super busy sending lots of all different sorts of canned product all over the place and it kind of created an opportunity for us like a lot of other small breweries I guess to get to get more kind of beer in hand um, during that period and then the approval on the right site came up and we kind of started developing the Grovedale site in August last year I think so it's been about eight months now, but it was kind of commissioned and opened about five or six weeks ago. Um, during that period, well, I guess it's been a period of rapid growth. We've, we've um, been lucky to get some great crew to come on board and help out with the, the growth. So obviously Tristan and, and Steve that are um, two full-time brewers now and then Salty coming on board with me to help me kind of get the message out there. And I've been covering the whole the whole state for quite a while. So it's um, it's actually good to get the opportunity to get out there and do some repping again in the coming months because we've just been um, just been kind of getting it done. And then and we, we did expect kind of Torquay being where it is to have a pretty solid kind of rebound as far as tourism and stuff went domestically post-COVID. And we did find that. We've just we've come off the back of a cracking kind of big summer down there. And now we're pretty excited to actually bring this this kind of craft beer thing to a broader Geelong audience and, and then also have a brewery that's really just a train ride away from Melbourne as well. So um, yeah. 20 minutes down the road in Torquay, but now it's kind of an hour on the train and you're off in Marshall Station. It's about a tinny and a half walk from the station and you're at the new brewery. <laughs> I got off so, at Marshall Station a few times. Yeah. There's not much around that area. No, it's... well, there's a brewery now. <laughs> yeah. <It> is now. <laughs> Is it one of those ones where it's a tinny's walk from the station and then a two tinny walk back to the station? Well, yeah, and it probably depends who you are, I reckon, David. But yeah, generally, you probably get back to the Marshall Station and have missed the last train, and yeah, yeah, it'd be two yeah. and a half home, yeah, and then an Uber back to Melbourne, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you touched on it there. You know, how was it? How great was it to be able to have a proper summer's trade, more or less? You know, with the sun out and people back down enjoying all of your beautiful parts of the world oh look it was great um and i mean i think being down here in geelong and the surf cast we're a little bit insulated from kind of um what melbourne went through last year particularly the second time um so we definitely we're quite grateful kind of of, of how we are kind of coming out of the strange year that 2020 was but no we've um Torquay, I, I would say, I would expect that there'll be more tourism kind of in this region in the short term because it's still a little bit sketchy to go kind of venture too far. So as much as there's been quite a few challenges to face, I think, um, you know, timing and overall outcome for Blackman's as, as a growing business is probably, um, it's probably hasn't, it's worked reasonably well for us and, you know, yeah. the timing of everything and stuff we were lucky enough to have in the pipeline before it all happens meant we've kind of come out the other side fighting, so... You know, it's good. So we're going to start talking about the beer. Um, I, f- I feel like maybe this is the, the beer you have on the way back to the train station. <laughs> maybe. Um, at the end of the night rather than the beginning of the night. Um, so Juicy Banger is, is, you know, a part of your core range now. And it's, I'm guessing it's probably one of your biggest sellers. I know the bottle shops I go to in Melbourne, it's always in the fridge. It's always sort of front and centre. Um, where'd the idea come from to amp this up to uh, this this 
double we're starting on tonight? So it was actually it's the first beer name that um, that I came up with, and I think it was probably after a few pints of Juicy Banger one night, and I had was inspired <laughs> to kind of suggest this groundbreaking idea that was a double Juicy Banger called Juicy Juicy Bang Bang, and. Um, <laughs> I guess it kind of, when we launched Juicy Banger, as I would have touched on in the last podcast, but it's the first of a series of beers we did back starting in 2017, I think, called Lager Collective. And there's this in-house kind of brewery joke every year. We kind of, we discuss how this is the year of the lager. And um, <laughs> interestingly enough, I mean, Juicy Banger has been slowly kind of climbing its way up the leaderboard. And, you know, a couple of years ago, it would kind of drop off during winter and it had kind of sit, it'd get benched probably, you know, and Arthur would take, take its spot over the winter and then it'd fire up again when the weather was good. But this year, I mean, we um, Juicy Banger is our, it's our number two beer and it'll could be our number two, our number one beer by tomorrow. It's growing fairly rapidly. Um, it was the beer of ours that featured in the Hottest 100 and came in 82 nationally, which was good. I believe it was one of the highest lagers possibly the highest I'm, i haven't should have done my homework on that one but <laughs> it was it was really highest ipl there you go um so yeah no it's it's i mean juicy juicy bang bang we we launch it every year it's something that comes out in march it was originally launched about three years ago and and i suppose i'm not sure whether you're supposed to have it first or in the middle or at the end. And I mean, often the outcome's the same, you know. Um, <laughs> You're probably right. Uh, You're probably right. Yeah, yeah. But but no, look, it is, we'll continue to release this every March and then we kind of, I guess we do, you know, our Angry Reg IPA in August to kind of balance it out with a good kind of full-bodied hoppy option during the winter. Um, I mean, this was the beer we were about to launch when everything shut down last year and then we immediately kind of offloaded 15 heck of it to a... Um, to a quarantine pack kind of thinking, oh, we've just got to, you know, all the kegs we'd sold, we turned it, we turned into beer and mm-hmm. sold r- remarkably too cheaply because I actually sold out of the 500 mil cans in five days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind 15 heck of 500. Anyway, yeah. I feel like um, uh, listeners to the podcast, if they were to go back and listen to the previous version, we did actually have a discussion about the year of the lager. But yeah. I think this year is the year of the lager, yeah? Everywhere I go, there's so many on tap. It's, yeah, you know, that's just, we'll scratch like 2020 off the, off the, you know, the scorecard pretty much and just go with 2021, I think. Um, it's, it's bloody good, I'll tell you that. And I'm supposed to save some for someone else in the house, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> what are the, what are the challenges of doing, doing it as a double like do you are you guys simply doubling the ingredients or is there you know more to it than that that one you want to have speak to tristan or yeah um well yeah no in a nutshell um you can't just double <laughs> the ingredients and oh you could try it and see what comes out i suppose but um one of the big things that blackens is massively keen on with a lot of it well, all our beers is balance um and yeah if you just doubled everything you massive risk of throwing balance straight out the window so um you will notice, I think it's seven and a half percent. Yeah, seven and a half percent versus mm. the five point eight and the juicy, all the baby juicy, normal juicy. Um, yeah, like I said, balance is the big one. Uh, I guess the keeping it in the juicy banger family, it's got the same hop varieties used in the well throughout the whole process, basically to give similar style aromas and flavors coming up the beer. But um, 
yeah, maintaining that balance, you've got to just make sure that you keep the alcohol in check as well. Because you know, if we if we blasted the, the market with an eleven and a half percent IPL, it'd be a uh, yeah, it'd be a completely. I don't know how the sales guys would feel about us handing that one to them. Um, <laughs> even fifteen heck of five hundred mil cans, that could be a different story. I'd but, probably um, just get myself into more trouble. I'd imagine. <laughs> I think the punters would be okay with it. Yeah, be, uh, yeah, you you do it in some pretty niche markets, so we get into super boozy beers like that too. So um. Yeah, maintaining the balance, maintaining the flavour profiles and, yeah, keeping it as a, well, in this case, a fairly dangerously drinkable lager um, is, yeah, massive key priority to the way Blackman's brew our beers. Nice. Um, I'm hard-pressed to think of a lager that would be bigger than 7.5%, to be honest. I reckon that must be right up there in terms of, you know, that that style. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing i don't think there's anything i've come across that's at that level like at seven percent i'm not even close to it probably um we're going to get bogged down on lagers here i can just see it it's just going to be the talk of the night we're just going to talk about lagers um we're all sitting here drinking it but i'm not sure a lot of us are going to get through this before we have to move on uh to the next beer um david do you want to? Uh, is there anything you wanted to add or ask in relation to to this one? Because Absolutely. I'm 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 kind of itching to get onto the 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 next one, but that's well, because it's, it's given, probably given my it's, favorite Blackman's beer ever. But yeah, given it's seven and a half percent on this one, we'll, we'll just extend this a little bit, a little bit more. I mean, so I've got I've got one sensible question, one question entirely out of self interest, which is uh, people will have the Arthur in the in the tasting packs. Uh, which I added in there, which is the smoke board, just because I it's one of my favourite beers. What are the chances of a double Arthur? Have you ever looked at that? Is there a chance that we can um, have a double version of something like that? Yeah, so originally when um, 12 months after Ren and Jess opened the brewery, um, they did a large format Imperial Arthur in 750ml bottles. And then we, we relaunched that in August 2019 for the fifth anniversary. So... Yes, double Arthur is definitely a thing, and it's it's likely to come out every five years. Um, we've still got a few bottles kicking around from the 2019 vintage, but definitely it's something that was considered quite early in the piece, and it was probably it was the first double of any of any any of the beers that um, sit in our annual lineup. Now it was the first beer to be kind of doubled, and it um, I suppose. I couldn't, I don't know why Ren chose that, but I guess, you know, Arthur kind of was Ren's great-grandfather, so I suppose it kind of makes sense that, uh, you know, the patriarch of the family would have a double beer brewed after him. Um, and I would think that we will do that again, but possibly three years away now, I reckon. Yeah, it might come um, than that. Let us know when double Arthur Day happens, because I think, you know, it'll be one of those days and I'll be queuing up at whatever venue's got that ready to rock and roll. The other Arthur Arthur does a bit of time in barrels too as part of the barrel farm project. So we've got quite a bit of Arthur sitting there, awesome. kind of aging nicely. And we've we've um, previously we did a barrel farm release in it was mid twenty maybe August twenty nineteen. That was uh, it was called Chockberry Dark Lager, and that was that was a blend of forty um, percent Arthur that had sat in um, a gin a gin and juniper barrel for six months, and then it was blended with fresh beer that um, became our Barrel, barrel farm raspberry and a sour. So Arthur is one that sits 
quite nicely with a little bit of age on it. So I think it's something that probably will, you know, will feature as a backbone of some of our dark barrel farm releases as as that grows. And now we've got lots of barrels, and we've but we haven't had lots of releases because I guess you know the twenty twenty put a bit of that on the back burner. But we have we have actually chosen the blend of our uh, our two barrels that we're going to blend into our first seven fifty mil full barrel age release. Um, we don't have a solid date for that yet, though, do we, Salty? I think that'll probably be later in the year at some stage. Yeah. And we know what they are? It's basically we've got a blend of a golden sour barrel blended with a, a darker kind of amber sour that I guess is, I mean, it's in the vein of Flanders red, but it's it's not yep. a Flanders or super red. It's just one of our kind of barrel-aged ambers that was the – and the sour, and we just felt they were the best. And we were considering at the time blending some of that with fresh versions of those beers, but we just thought we'll take the two best barrels we've got so far and mix them 50-50, and that'll be our first one. And we, we kind of – we haven't done that yet because our barrel program is – I think it's three years old in March, but we just wanted to make sure when we did release a large format kind of um, aged – aged beer that it, you know, Australia of um, kind of punching a little bit above their weight as far as that beer category goes, I think. So we know that we're in some pretty good company when we do release something that, that has done time in barrel. So we just wanted to make sure that that um, we wait until it's, you know, it's, it's worth worth the time. And in the meantime, we will still do partially barrel-age blends. And we haven't done as much stuff with Barrel Farm since kind of COVID hit just because we kind of thought, well, let's just focus on telling the Blackman story. And um, But, yeah, look, it's definitely, it's only benched. And now that we'll get to this, I suppose, as we talk about our new brewery, but now we've got a canning facility and a space in Torquay that potentially we can start to package a bunch of that mixed culture stuff, whereas previously... We only really wanted to bottle fill anything that had done barrel time and then everything that we were canning was more about kind of provenance and, and you know, different souring methods rather than rather than barrel ageing necessarily. So, but, yeah, we're pretty close to launching launching the first of the age stuff there. So that'll be good. Nice. Um, when you say larger format, can I ask what larger format? Is that just same size can or are you thinking back into no, bottles and things? We, like we're going to bottle the large format barrel farm releases just because we think there's something that will hold up well in bottle over time. And I think, you know, that's still that large format bottle. It's a great it's a great way to share a beer. And I mean, we kind of find that some of those um, barrel large beers, they're best shared because it's almost like if a tree falls in the wood and there's no one there, I mean, <laughs> you can't pontificate about the beer then, you know. That's, if it, that's exactly why we have the podcast. So not only can we pontificate, it means that our pontifications are, uh, are you know, preserved for history. So very much <laughs> loving that. Uh, you touched there, but my other sort of more sensible question, I wasn't actually expecting the answer that yes, Double Arthur already existed. So my ignorance has uh, been rewarded there. Um, but you mentioned on the way through Lager Collective, and um, that's something we discussed last time round, and I guess... Interested to know whether Lager Collective is still something that's central or whether you were just saying then, you know, the Blackman's story and telling that, you know, where do things fit between telling the Blackman's story, telling the, uh, the Barrel Farm story, telling the Needs More series story and the, um, the Lager Collective story? Well, I mean, we're kind of lucky enough to have become kind of quite well known for both, I suppose, those hoppy beers and, and our lagers. And, I mean, the Lager Collective, we released three under that banner. We did the Juicy Banger, the Zinger Slinger, which was a New Zealand hop version of that, and then Citra Black Dynamite, which was just a nice kind of 
it's almost it's a black IPL really, I guess. And, and all those beers were great, but then we found Juicy Banger was the only one that resonated at the time, and it just seems. Now, three or four years on, lager kind of has more of a relevance and they actually just brewed the fourth lager collective or official lager collective beer. We might have actually had a, a chocolate dark lager a couple of years that was under that banner, but we're, we're brewing a dark, a Schwarz beer that we'll um, release in about six weeks that just went in a tank this morning. <laughs> That's very cool. That's more or less, I was interested to see whether there are any more coming down the line because yeah, I reckon well, last year, yeah. Talk about that will be, yeah, will be a lager collective release that one. So yeah, we're we're bringing it back. Maybe it is the year. And I reckon last year, as the podcasts and Meet the Brewers went on, we we spoke more and more and more about lager. But I reckon, really, genuinely, you might have been just about the first of that. But we, as we spoke to brewers, it was lager was what brewers were enjoying making, and what they were enjoying showing off to their friends, just because it was that little bit more technically difficult and. You know, if you do it right, that was the brewer's choice of style of beer that they wanted to share with each other. Yeah, I mean, I started working in, in um, this about five years ago now, as I said, and, you know, initially I, I was quite surprised the first time I went out with um, Ren and Rick, we just, they ordered a round of lagers. And at the time I was, you know, this kind of young kind of fledgling beer fan that just thought kind of real beer lovers didn't drink lagers anymore. And I was, I was quite taken aback with it. But now five years on, I um, tends to be my go-to as well. You know, I'd murder a Czech Pilsner right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul, you asked a question in the room about how everyone was enjoying this beer, um, which kind of flagged me to remind everyone that, if you do have questions, type them into the chat and we will uh, make sure we get to them. And hopefully we'll have time at the end if anyone wants to ask a question to one of the guys. Um, David, I think we're almost at a point where we're going to move on to the next beer. Um, which is the Needs More Mosaic. So perhaps we'll give people 30 seconds to go and to- grab two clean glasses. Yes. Their cans of Needs More Mosaic and Needs More Idaho, because uh, we'll have a we'll have a little look of those. We'll start at the Mosaic, but we'll move reasonably quickly on to the Idaho, so we can have them next to each other and consider them consider them together. So, thirty seconds run to the fridge in the glass, uh, well, the glass room. Yeah. We've just spoken about the Lager Collective and we are probably all still sitting on the, the last beer. We are going to move on to what is potentially my favourite Blackman's beer ever. Um, I'm totally talking this up now, aren't I? Um, so hopefully everyone's cracked their cans and we can uh, we can get this in. Um, the last time you guys were on the podcast, we, we discussed the needs more citra um and now we're up to needs more mosaic what are the main characteristics of this hop that the listeners should be tasting for for a starter chris do you want to build that one Um, yeah well mosaic's kind of i find it pretty aptly named because it you know it's a mosaic it's got a bit of everything but yeah tropical citrusy 
Um, some people get a bit of earthiness out of it. Um, but yeah, like it really is. It's a very broad spectrum. You know, it's, it covers a lot of bases and um, therefore makes a really nice single hot beer just because it's got layers and layers of flavours basically. But yeah, uh, yeah, leaning towards those tropical citrusy flavours. A little bit dank as well, which is always nice. That's probably got, it does have a bit of oil in the hops too. And we, um, we obviously haven't been mucking around when we've been dry hopping this, this range of beers. So yeah, plenty of those um, dank oilies coming through as well. Where did so, you get your hops from this time around? And, you know, how much uh, we were always interested to hear, you know, conversations when people go out and have to source their hops, especially how much sort of say did you have in the particular ones that you get, or was it just whatever happened to be in the, in the baggie when it arrived? So uh, we, um, oh, I'm sorry. No, go for it, Luke. I was just going to say that there is a bit of a relationship with Yakima Chief there. So, um, yeah, it's playing in our favour a little bit there to get some really nice fresh hops. But yeah, Luke can probably speak a bit more to it because he's been a bit more obviously involved in this range of beers since conception. So, and look, I mean, I guess this range of beers was kind of born from us wanting to drink all of our favourite kind of single hop beers fresh. Yeah. And and I mean, we um we do have some Aussie hops that pop up in our brewery, and and but most of what we kind of do and a lot of our kind of flagship and, and beers that we're known for. You know, they do really use a lot of American hops and there's some good, strong relationships with the guys um, that distribute that here locally. So, and it just seemed like a really good opportunity to kind of get, I suppose, you know, such a well-recognised kind of hop brand on our cans and really showcase everything that that they do. Um, But really, I suppose the idea was really born out of us just wanting to be able to experience these all of these beers fresh and compare them on a fair kind of scale. And then so it made it a really good fit for same-day IPA because there's a bunch of good, good great breweries that have paved the way well for, for my, me personally as far as single-hop beers go, but it was um, was often quite a challenge to get those beers in a similar state. So that was kind of what the idea was about. It was just about kind of... Um, you know, having good tasting beer that can also be a learning experience, but kind of get it into people's hands in a consistent state. And because we'd already started same day IPA, it just it seemed like it was something Yakima Chief were interested in. And um, it's been a really good vehicle. And now, I mean, this is our eighth beer in the, the single hop series. Oh, we did one Simcoe Mosaic um, around this time last yep. year. So well, we've had a good run. Had a good run. They've all they've all drank really well, and I think they've all brought something unique to the table. We deliberately held back on mosaic because we knew it'd be one of the bangers. And and for me personally, I think some of the better single hop beers that have been released in Australia have um have featured mosaic. I mean, the one that really pinned my ears back initially was Akash's kind of single hop mosaic, yeah. which I'm sure everyone's familiar with. Yep. Um, so yeah. When we talked about the Citra on the last time you guys were on um there were some surprises with the flavors that emerged when it was used by itself did you guys notice the same thing with the mosaic or even not even out of the eight that you had was that a was it a common theme across were you guys pleasantly surprised with what came out yeah look i have been um i mean i was actually quite surprised with the beer that has the same kind of grams of hop load um, for every recipe. And then, the, you know, the, the, the Amarillo one we did was hopped up a little more just to make sure that it had enough punch to carry kind of a hop that's been in the market for 10 or 12 years or whatever it is compared to some of these new world heavy hitters. But by and large, I think it was quite, it was, for me, it was quite impressive to see how different the beers presented um, 
And I mean, Citra was a great example of something that came through hazy. It came through layered. You know, it was, um, I mean, it just, it kind of helped me to understand why Citra is called the auto tune of hops. You can kind of throw that into most things and it's going to add a fairly balanced backbone and flavour. And then the one we did after that, Simcoe, I mean, that, you know, that hit market bright. It wasn't hazy at all and it, was, it almost seemed to drink drier and, but um, I've found it quite an interesting process to go through and drink these. And, I mean, we, you know, we're drinking them the day they come out and then we kind of, when the next one comes out, we're comparing it. So we're having a good crack at it. Um, Me too. <laughs> yeah. can, can I ask, and this is genuinely from complete ignorance, I've never really thought about it, what's sort of the price difference between different types of hops? Like... You know, I don't know the exact dollars, but you know, for all of these sort of single hop things, are you paying the same sort of price, or is there a big premium on some some of them? And you know, who has to make that choice about you know whether you put out the dollars on it or not? Well, I, yeah. Look, I guess I I just request those beers. I don't I don't <laughs> have the pleasure of doing the costing. Um, and and then I guess once we request them, we get them made. We've just got to sell them, I suppose, and. And I would imagine most of the hops we use possibly, and look, there'll be plenty of brewers and people out there that could that would uh, that might correct me here, but I think I think they're all of a reasonably similar price. I don't think we haven't really used anything that's at the the mid or cheap kind of end of the market so much. Other than well, possibly Cascade and Amarillo, the more kind of you know old school hops, I guess would have been a little cheaper. But I imagine Citra. I think it's one of the biggest aromatic hop kind of crops globally each year, and I'm sure it's because it demands a pretty solid price but i'm not i'm not sure of that tristan are you kind of uh yeah look there's i mean it's like so many different things demand and supply they dictate a lot of it um yeah so some of these new world hops that everyone wants to get their hands on quite often the the um well the hop growers the distributors they're they're contracting a lot of them out to brewers so you know they're they're potentially pre-sold come harvest season uh, and that obviously can drive it, do, it doesn't drive the price through the window or make them stupid or anything, but uh, they have to remain competitive because obviously there's a lot of shared varieties internationally as well as across companies. Um, so, you know, Yakima Chief share some um, proprietary, I, I don't know, control uh, with Haas and a few, a few, you know, the big international distributors like that. So it, it does keep it competitive as far as price goes. But yeah, you, you're dead right, Luke. That, some of the older school, uh, more readily available products like Cascade and Amarillo and even things like Super Pride, um, they definitely don't hold a ticket price quite like your Citrus, Mosaics, even Galaxies, those sort of guys that, um, you know, high demand and potentially pre-sold before they're even picked. Out of, you know, you've, you've said you've done sort of eight of these style of beers. I guess I've been to know out of, you know, out of all the beer hops that, you know, I'm likely to know, so, you know, the pretty common ones, are there any that you think just don't lend themselves to a single hop? Are there any just sort of that, I guess, rather than being the auto-tune and like Jane, I've now got a, a sure song in my head, but, you know, there's some of those ones that perhaps you just sort of use as a background in a whole lot of bits and pieces that you'd never do a single hop version of because it's just not going to be, I guess, exciting enough. Uh, yeah, there's obviously a lot of... Um what you'd call key bittering varieties. So we're probably not going to throw Pride of Ringwood or Super Pride or, um, I don't know, Dr. Rudy or something like that, or I think Southern Cross is the ones they use. We have discussed the so needs more Zealand, Pride um, of Ringwood, actually. Yeah, they're, they're... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Dr. Um, Rudy. They'd be interesting experiments. 
I think I don't know if Doctor Rudy still. I remember using it a few years ago. It was bittering hot, but it may have also just been that it was affordable. You know, hadn't been super popular, and therefore, come late end of the year, there was a bit of it around, and um, you could get it for a good price if you're only going to try and pull bitterness out of it, and not really any aromas or flavors as such. Um, but yeah, there's yeah, you'd be hard pressed to again. It'd be interesting to see what Salty and Luke might think if we told them we were going to brew a super fried single hop beer. Um, because it's obviously in their hands once it's out of the brew house, but um, single can. I think, I think Travis, Travis, <laughs> single can conversation might keep going back to lagers. Uh, super fried <laughs> should be uh, going back in the other direction, not in the uh, single hop IPA direction. I would have thought, but anyway. But uh, you're dead right. Like even um, Simco, I reckon that probably would have turned a few heads when we said, "Well, well this is before my time there," but I'll turn my head as a customer. Um, you know, Simco. I, I think. Um, a former head brewer of mine referred to it as the, the bass player. You know, you you don't necessarily hmm. you don't necessarily notice it, but you notice it if it's gone from a beer. Um, so it plays a really good backbone and and in the piece. But um, you know, you you'd be hard pressed to make something enjoyable on its own. But that needs more. Uh, yeah, the needs more Simco beer was. Um, oh yeah, I think it turned a few heads and was really quite interesting how it turned out as a well, basically one of the big hitters in the series. Are you using Pride of Ringwood in any of the beers at the moment? I guess for, you know, people who are home brewers, you know, it's one of those ones that is an absolute mainstay in the homebrew shops. Is it? Are you able to tell us sort of if it's in any of those ones and what it brings to the party, having talked about the, the sexier and funner ones? I think the guys, are, uh, the team at um, Bright Brewery a couple of years ago, I think for a festival, did a single hop super pride wet hop beer which i found pretty interesting um yeah i don't know i grow it at home because it grows really well in the victorian climate which i think is why it became so popular here in the first or you know so popular with the big brewers here in the first place um but yeah it's uh not a lot of oils and not a lot of delicious aromas and flavors like the citrus galaxies and mosaics of the world we've actually um I'm just talking about hot pricing. I'm just, we got this coming out next week. This is a series of beer, the first in a series of beers based around kind of how it would make brewers and salespeople if we could just make a beer with stupid amounts of stuff in it. So, um, yeah, so Luke, this is, going, this is running really about, good for people in the Zoom room. So, mate. yeah, I was just going to say, I, <laughs> but there's people that are listening to the podcast. This is a podcast. Right, so, so let's but allow me to elaborate verbally. Please do. Please do. <laughs> So we've just um, got the first, you know, I think it may become a series, it's called Happy Tears, with the concept being let's like brew a beer that's got so many hops in it that it makes all the brew team cry happy tears, um, <laughs> with a nice catchy kind of uh, catch line similar to yours formed on the train today, David, that's cheers and beers and happy tears. So oh, I like that. That, one, that comes out next week, and the, the first one that we're doing is a 7.5% West Coast IPA that's um, got a backbone of Centennial backed up with a couple of the New World bangers that we all know and love. And that, look, I mean, it's probably a beer that may have been a little more expensive than we'd normally like to make because we'd like to make beers that are kind of accessible, but off the back of needs more. We have to step it up a little bit and remains to be seen. We're happy to use um, the idea we're originally going to make something super sweet and silly, um, and I'd, I'd said, let's make the pastry boys cry happy tears. But then we kind of decided that um, using heaps of hops and making our brewers cry happy tears is probably suited our brand and kind of the beers we like to drink and make a little better. So. And are some of those tears in the in the vat or 
Oh, that's the secret. <laughs> and, and were there tears in the accountancy and business department as well? Or is well, that I think if, if Salty and I sell it all, then there'd, there'd probably be cheers. I kind of feel like potentially some of the beers you've done, you guys have done in the past that have had a bit of a salty taste to them. Um, having the brewer's tears in a beer probably isn't that far out of the realm of possibility. Look, I don't think our brewers actually cry enough. We don't even have to make 50 <laughs> litres. <laughs> There's a very honest answer there. There's a very honest answer there. Uh, what do you reckon, folks? I've still got a fair whack of my mosaic net left, but if people got a second glass and maybe we can open the Idaho and have them next to each other and perhaps run a, a little masterclass for yes. uh, some of our listeners about the difference between those two hops and you know, let people have a bit of a taste and a smell and then figure out what it is that, is different and the same. I, I think it's a really interesting thing. I always remember that Brewdog, I don't know, it's probably now 10 years ago, it could be more, used to do little single hop packs where you get four different single hop beers next to each other. With one of my favourite things, they use the same base and four different single hops and you could open them all at the same time if you had a few mates to, to do it with and you could experience each one of those uh, hops next to each other. And... Um, I just don't uh, more about what different hops do out of that experience than by tasting one beer one day and another beer the next day. Just don't mix them up when you pour them. Make sure you're you're all good on your placement. That's it's an interesting thing. Um, I'm curious to know because the first time I had, and because of COVID and all that other crap, not many people got down to Torquay and got to the brewery. Um, I'm guessing that all the Need more beers have been on tap at the brewery, but they weren't necessarily readily available on tap in Melbourne. So the first time I had something on tap out of the need more range was the mosaic and now the Idaho. Um, were all of them available or, or did, did you limit the release on tap due to COVID and, you know, trying to get them out and that sort of thing? Well, we just didn't really have many tap points we could sell them to kind yeah. of last year, as, as you would imagine. And I, and I mean, I probably think it's a story that translates better. And I mean, just off the back of Salty's success with these um, couple of series that he's been involved in, I mean, I think it possibly, you know, the story and the whole experience may even come across better at the bar. Um, but look, at the time, I mean, you know, for most of what we did for the first half of this series, I mean, kegs weren't even a consideration. So, yeah. Um, I guess that's a good question for you as well, Salty. You know, how how do you find selling the beers? Oh, I love it. It's, um, yeah, look, they, they generally pre sell before release date. Uh, so, there's definitely um, Luke and the team have definitely got a captured market. Absolutely, we have. Um, and yeah, I think the tricky thing is at, at Torquay being on a small brew kit is it comes down to the last minute. We're kind of like, shit, how many keys should we do or how many cases should we do? Because we don't want to run out of either. We want to please everyone. We want to be on tap at venues. Um, and I think Luke's right. It's a great story to tell at the bar. You, you know, you roll the keg into the venue and they hook it up, tap it, and they tell their customers this got kegged this morning. It's a great story and it's it's bloody brilliant uh, and it's a good vibe. Um, yeah, so 
uh, no, no issues. They're really well well received, and it's just a matter of trying to get that split right with cans and kegs. So, yeah. Now I'm going to jump ahead to a question in the room from Muggs because um, I haven't tasted the uh, the Idaho yet. So I'm going to ask the question uh, and then sip it while you answer it. But the question is, the Idaho has a softer mouthfeel than the Mosaic. Is that just one man's opinion or... You know, is that what we should be experiencing? I don't know whether Tristan, you want to kick that off, or and then Jane is saying the Idaho feels sharper to me, zingier. Um, Kevin Rudd would be, and I shouldn't say Kevin Rudd. Bill Shorten would be happy. He likes a good zinger, but you know, what's uh, the, what, what should we be getting out of this? So Idaho, personally, I haven't had a whole lot of experience with it, either brewing or drinking. But um, yeah, look. Tasting notes, the Idaho throw out some weird things like Earl Grey tea, uh, fruitiness, citrus aromas. Um, personally, out of the Idaho, I pull out a fair bit of um, sort of like an orange peely sort of yeah. aromas, um, which to me probably indicates a little bit uh, zingier bitiness. Uh, in saying that, though, from memory, I think Idaho's probably got the highest oil content out of any of the hops that we've used in the whole Needsmore series. Uh, probably don't fact check me on that, but I think that's true. Um, <laughs> which could, oh yeah, look, that could lead to a bit of a slicker, smoother mouthfeel, I suppose. Um, a lot more oils coming through, maybe pulling out a little bit less bitingness. Um, I yeah. can definitely uh, get the uh, the Earl Grey tea, probably a little bit of mandarin peel rather than orange peel, just because I like to be somewhat difficult in my uh, n- never completely agreeable. Wouldn't argue with it at all. Well, it's funny, I, like I just got a hit of melon from it. And initially when I saw the, um, as you know, we have to kind of um, take a punt on these can descriptions so that we can release these beers the same day. We don't have the luxury of tasting them and then getting the label smashed out kind of that morning and then getting them out that other. So, I mean, initially when I saw the Idaho 7 label, having not had a lot of single hop personal experience with it, I, I kind of thought Earl Grey tea, I mean, that's a bold call to put on there, you know, tea kind of, um, it's quite a, you know, d- a dominant flavour. And initially I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing to put on there. And then drinking it last Friday when it came out, I was probably onto my second can and Salty sent me a kind of a text saying, oh, I'm really getting that kind of tea and, you know, that tea flavour from it. And, and then I kind of, I've actually realised that it is, there's definitely a tea flavour there. And I found yeah, that yeah. Over, over a few cans, it actually kind of builds. And I was actually at the end up after, you know, three cans or whatever on the on the launch night, three or four, I don't know, half, yeah, probably not <laughs> half a dozen. Anyway, three. <laughs> By the end of it, I actually kind of thought it was pretty good that we did call out that tea flavour because I did find over over a few of, of these beers that that, that those kind of... Um, Earl Grey flavours tended to build from beer to beer. Um, so it was a good call on Ren's behalf, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Earl Grey tea is my absolute favourite tea, but it's 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 as much that sort of little bit of almost dryness on the front of the tongue that's, that yeah, generates well, it's quite that feel. Quite close to astringency, really. So it's, um, yeah. It was quite interesting the day that we were actually packaging it too. I, I quite I felt the... um the teeness kind of came out more and more as the day went on. So it's one of those classic things. I think everyone likes to let their beers change temperature while they drink them. And it's very interesting how super hoppy beers will change their profile whilst you drink them too, as you let them warm up in their glass or mug or however you're going to drink it. Um, but yeah, like I said, as the day went on, that sort of 
the way I described it, it, I didn't really get it as a tea, but more of a, a kind of a leafiness without being a, a hop vegetableness, but more of yeah, a, a leafy tea sort of smell that came out during the day. It was quite interesting to see how it sort of evolved. And can you tell us the story of the Idaho 7 and, you know, the six Idahos before that, I presume, that were they potatoes and then they finally decided to grow hops and that was the seventh or, you know, what's the story of the hop? I would have to make up a complete bullshit story. If I no, go for it. <laughs> I like the story of the you're, six potatoes. You're the man for the job. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I can't, I couldn't tell you what um, its parent hops were and I actually don't know much history about it. It's a bit, it's a hop that I hadn't had in single hop beers before. Yeah. Um, it's been mentioned in a bunch of IPAs that I've enjoyed it in varying degrees. Um, but look, I know I don't know a great deal about the hop's background, to be honest. I mean, I imagine it's an offshoot of one of these big Yakima Chief hops. It's, it's a proprietary one. So, but yeah, no, I don't. I'm, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I knew lots. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm all for free the Idaho Seven. I reckon there's a there's a T-shirt in free the Idaho Seven. <laughs> Have you guys found that that's been pretty common over the last week, though? Where, and I know it was it was for me as well. Nearly all the other hops, the other seven hops you've used in the Needmore range, are, have been pretty common. Most people uh, will know them or will have tried them in the past. This one, not so much. Like I found when I had it on tap the other day, I'd never, I didn't know enough about it to really put a really good judgment on what I was tasting. Um, is that been a bit of a common theme? Like, did you choose this hop because it was a bit obscure? It was. Um, uh, look, we, we discussed a few other hops and there's some other hops that we've used in a bunch of our other beers. El Dorado was one that was kind of um, a pretty solid contender for this type of beer. But I guess, I mean, this was probably one that... Um, Tris and Ren and the brewers wanted to explore a little bit. Um, why we actually decided on that hop in the end, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But I mean, I, the, the fact that a lot of people haven't had an experience with it's probably a good reason to kind of push forward with something like that. I mean, it is it does seem to be one of the, new, you know, the, the more recent New World hops that seems to have slipped through without getting the exposure that some of the other um, that ones might get on there. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I'm with you, Trav. It's definitely the first single hop Idaho 7 beer I've had. So I was I was really excited about it because it was the unknown. And yeah, which is pretty cool because it's it it does seem difficult to find the unknown now in, in a, our awesome craft beer industry. And yeah, it's it's so different to the mosaic. Um it's mm. yeah, it's 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 just really cool to to showcase the single hop and as it's intended to do, and it's really cool. It's uh yeah, it's a it's a great talking point and Definitely, I get that herbal tea character um, to it, uh, and it's worlds away from what the mosaic brings. So, yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah. And I mean, the, the discussion around the beer cooler after kind of trying this beer was we think it's probably fairly likely that it will get integrated in a bunch of kind of hop forward beers because it brings something to the table that I, I think kind of might add, you know, add a bit of new experience to some of these hoppy beers. Because I mean, a lot of us that drink in this space, I mean, we're We've had multiple versions and, you know, probably 250 beers in the last month with Citra in it. So um, mm. something that kind of, you know, that can, that can add, you know, add, add a little bit of something new and interesting that still fits in with what we all know and love, I think probably works. But, I, yeah, we'll see. 
Now, there's a, a young man in the in the room with us tonight, um, Paul Sultana. Now, he may have appeared on a previous podcast with a previous hat that he was wearing. We're not going to talk about that tonight. Um, you know, people can go back and go through our archives and find out all about that. But, but Paul, as a young person involved very newly in the beer industry, I believe you've got a question that you'd um you'd like to ask the brewer. So, um. Why don't you do that, and hopefully the brewer will be patient with your um, with your innocence and, um, and and explain things as you need. Thanks, David. Um, I'm a little bit nervous, but uh, my That's question okay. to you, um, Tristan, brewer Tristan, is: uh, Are you able to divulge a little bit more about cryo hops uh, versus regular hops that you brew with, and and were they involved in the Needsmore series? Uh, yeah, I can divulge a little bit but that's about all i can offer to be honest um so the uh, companies that produce hops obviously like anyone else they're looking at new and innovative ways to get their products into the hands of their customers um the what yakima chief have gone with is this uh like cryo is their essentially their brand name for their the way that they're treating their hops to deliver them to the customers so the cryo hops uh and again, please don't fact check me on this, anybody. But um, yep. I think the Google's open. Google's open. Yeah, they're extracting the um, all, all the aroma and oil compounds from the hops and removing a lot of the vegetable matter, so the leafy matter from the hops, so that when they distribute the hops to the customer, what you're getting is a oh, it's packing way more punch per pallet or per gram than the standard T90 hops. Which T90 hops, my understanding is they're about you know, when they they Basically, they pulverise the hops, break them down into pallets because pallets are a lot simpler to use in the brewery. Those pallets contain about 90% of what is, you know, what was originally the hops. Um, so the cryo hops uh, will contain a lot less of the vegetable matter and a lot more of the stuff that we actually want to use in the brewery. So the, the, the oil glands and the, well, basically the, the pockets of the hops that we want that are going to offer flavour, bitterness, whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, Cryo is the brand name that Yak and Chief are using because I, I understand they're pulling it down in some sort of a cold or nitrogen or frozen nitrogen-based extraction. Um, I think the Haas Group, who obviously are involved with um, uh, HPA hops in Australia, they're I think, launching their own version shortly, which is you know in a similar vein. I can't remember exactly what they're going to call it. I don't know if it's actually either, so I won't speak too much on that. But yeah, basically... Um, yeah, the, the 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 gist of it is, is that we can get the the flavors, the aromas, and the oils into the fermenters or bright tanks or however wherever we're going to probably bright tanks, but fermenters or wherever we're doing the dry hopping, and get a bit more flavor, oils, and aromas out of the hops without losing as much beer during the process because we're not putting in as much vegetable matter. Cool. A, we had one good question there in the room about hop hash and um i think it was deep creek that we had on that had a specific hop hash beer which was more or less all of the gunky gooey bits that sort of built up uh as the the hops ran through the the machines is that the same thing as cryo or is it a bit different uh, yeah i think the hop hash the way that was described to me the best way to think about it was literally if someone took a um you know bread and butter knife to the conveyor belts in the um in the hot yeah. processing facility and scraped all the yellow gold off the, uh, off the belts and chucked it in a bag and sent it to a brewery. But um, yeah, yeah that's, that's the, how it was described to us as well. Yeah, I, 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 look, I, I couldn't, I couldn't speak of whether that's completely true, but um, yeah, the, it's kind of the idea behind the cryo hops and uh, some of the other products, T45 hops is another 
Oh. All the visual medicine removed. Should leave for a range of reasons, you know. You ship five kilos of it from Yakima Valley in the States over to Australia and you're shipping, you know, 100% more of the stuff that we actually want and leaving some of the waste behind. Yeah, and look, I mean, I think Tristan's right from my understanding, and I haven't been to one of these processing plants, but I believe they're um, treating the hops with liquid nitrogen and freezing everything, and they're more or less shaking a lot of the lupulin out. And then my understanding is they drop about 50% of that vegetable vegetal matter. So as opposed to being 90%, you're looking more at about 40%. And I think conventional wisdom from a brewing side is that you're kind of going to get about twice the bang from your hops um, relative to the cost of them, I suppose. It's cost twice as much too. But they definitely, we've, we've brewed full cryo beers. Um, and I've been... Mean, from the conversations I've had with brewers, it seems like they perform better when they're when there's a little bit of T90 present as well, because actually having some something for the goodness to grab onto kind of works. But yeah, it is managing that kind of loss of beer that you get when you throw in 15 kilos of uh, vegetal matter. Can I just say that I'd love to beat one of those factories when they're doing the you know the the freezing and what it sounds like the undertaker walking into the ring or something. There must be so much sort of smoke and so forth going. That sounds marvelous. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a really interesting time too, when you're looking at it from a you know, user point of view too, like um, there's still a lot of, I don't know, discussion in the, in the industry about how much you can pull out of them. You know, I can throw them into a cold tank or a dry hopping sort of point of view. And you're trying to, you know, keep oil sitting on top of your fermenters and it's not actually sort of absorbing into the liquid. We're still being asked to solve his absolutely get as much of that flavour in there. We've we've had to use the cry hops because I don't think anyone really how much T ninety in the fermenters. We'd be losing a lot of beer. Yeah. Yeah. That's stress. Awesome. A, a question, particularly for Luke, but anyone else can weigh in as well. This may, you know, one of those questions you don't want to answer, but I'm asking it anyway. Do you have a favourite so far out of the whole needs more series? Like, you know, which one really stands out for you? If you're going to push for a, a remake of one tomorrow, and if you only had one. Well, it's funny because I think that's probably we're going to give needs more a little rest now, and then we're probably going to ask um, everyone to have a little bit of the say there, and then we'll rebrew the favourite one again before we launch into a few more or do a double needs more or whatever it might be that we we kind of land on. But I mean, I've actually found most of them have kind of my favourite one overalls, probably because of the fact that it, it it had the face of our um previous kind of brewer Rick Benny that that kind of um, has done a lot of the heavy lifting for Blackmans over the past few years and, and definitely brewed a lot of our award-winning beers and been the guy on the tools, you know, over the past couple of years as Ren works hard to grow a business and, you know, I'm out there selling it. So we, we did one beer this time last year that was um, a Simcar mosaic and and the, the character on that can was was remarkably similar to a, to a young Rick Benny. So... <laughs> And if I was to probably kind of look back at any of them, and it would be that because I look back at that fondness with the, the time there it is. Yep, Soldy's holding it up for those of you that are mm. just listening with audio. You'll uh, you'll miss that. Yeah, yep. Google it yourselves. <laughs> yeah, but, or but, join I us mean, or join us live on a Thursday night. Those are the options you've got. 
Yeah, um, and that, I mean, that was an interesting process too because you, you, we kind of thought, oh, well, let's add two of those hops that we love and we know are good together and see if it actually brings something to the table that's that's layered and more complex than what we're getting from some of those single hops. And, I mean, it was a great beer. It was very dank, and but, but you know, I actually think there's some other versions of the single hop that presented quite well. And, I mean, me personally, probably my favourite was almost Sabro because it was just... Um, really flew in the face of kind of everything else that was going on. And I'd had Sabro beers before and after, and we know Sabro is a bully, but it, it seemed to play quite well with itself um, if you didn't hate it. <laughs> That's a marvellous sentence. I'm going to get you a T-shirt with that last sentence alone on it, brother. Um, that actually is an interesting thing, though, in relation to the labels and our regular label guru, Corey, isn't in the room tonight, so I'm going to jump in for him. Um, who, who's come up with all the, the labels and the, the little cool people that you have on your cans because they're pretty epic? It's, um, how's that all come about? Well, again, I can speak to that. Um, having been around for the duration of the journey, we were lucky enough to... Um, have a young Jessie Jungawala working for us um, as she built her craft instinct business. And she was part of the Blackman's team when I joined five years ago. And and, and she was um, responsible for kind of consolidating all of our branding from a lot of our initial branding. I'm not sure if any of you guys remember stuff from probably about four plus years ago, but even some of, some of the artwork still hanging around on the Juicy Banger can was, was all done by a good friend of Ren and Jess's that they met in the UK. So initially all the kind of legacy artwork of the Blackman's um, beers, and when I say legacy, I mean your Reginalds and your Arthurs and your Ernie's and all those original kind of core series beers that are named after um, Blackman's family members. All that artwork was originally done by a good friend of Ren and Jess's in the, in the UK. And then it was Jesse that that kind of took all of that look and feel from, from those original labels, which were very, they were very busy and very complicated. And you have to remember when Reg launched in a can, it was the second IPA to be canned in Australia. So, and there wasn't, many cans, there wasn't many cans getting around. So you could kind of put super busy artwork in a can and it stood out in a fridge. And then... And then a couple of years down the track, like our busy kind of cans that you kind of had to pick up to read in a sea full of, you know, 40 or 50% cans, we, we needed to consolidate that kind of look and feel and make it something that was easy to identify in the fridge at a quick glance. And, and it was Jesse that, um, that was, you know, that helped us and was with us on that journey to consolidate that, that um, look and feel of the Blackman's brand that you see on the Corbiers now. And then she did the first five needs more cans. And then we've, um, when we were kind of recruiting crew to kind of help us with this next part, we've, we've got an in-house designer that's a Geelong-based gentleman um, by the name of Ash Oswald. And Ash, um, I used to take him beers. He's a bit of a beer Instagrammer. He'd always photograph our beers very flatteringly and kind of would, I'd drop him a beer all the time. And now he, he's come on board and he's, he's done the last three of the Needs More series. So there's a similar look and feel there, but you'll see a little bit of a switch in between um, the, you know, the more recent three and the, and the previous ones. But I'm not, did I speak to kind of where the idea of the Needs More series came from in the last podcast? I, 
briefly. Brief, so, briefly. You were more talking about the Citra. So, yeah. Yeah. So, look, basically, we, we put a beer in a Gabs um, about three years ago. It was an S-car Goza. So, it was a parsley Goza, and we used snails in the boil for a little bit of theatre. And it was really just a um, – it's quite a simple beer that probably didn't stand up to some of the big silly beers that were, that were uh, on show that year. But it was a great pun. And um, it is a, that is truly a great <laughs> pun. I still love it. And then the first the first review that we got on Untapped for that beer was one star needs more snail. Absolutely. <laughs> I think so I've then, shared before my chicken beer brewing experience, which yeah, was yeah. I ended up chicken beer needs more chicken. <laughs> needs more chicken. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean that, and I mean we laughed at that. I mean that was hilarious. It was possibly tongue in cheek, or it very well could have been a beer nerd that just needed more snail. I'm not sure. <laughs> needed more. From something. there, this series was born. I said, well, how about we make a single hop beer that's just hopped to the point? You know, we don't want hop burn. I mean, there's plenty of hop burn readily available in the market, but let's kind of let's put as much in as we can. And, and then put a, like a, a character on the can so that if anyone kind of says, oh, this needs more, they actually become the person on the can. So, <laughs> so that was kind of, you know, it was a little bit of fun that we had kind of amongst ourselves, but it did, it did resonate. And, I mean, there's only been a couple of people on Untap that have said that, and I think most of them weren't serious. There was actually one guy that said that and he was serious and we considered actually immortalising him as a <laughs> character on one of the cans, but then in the end I just said, nah, fuck that guy. <laughs> Perfect response. That's brilliant. <laughs> in a minute or two we might ask for a couple of questions from the room, but the thing we haven't spoken about, which in some ways is the whole reason for getting you guys on, is to talk about the uh, the new space down in Grovedale. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be John Laws. I'm going to be uh, very upfront about the fact that uh, I'm sitting here next to a microphone and I got a free pot out of uh, Salty the other night down in Grovedale. Um, so I've been down there and experienced that space. Um, I loved it. My whole family loved the, uh, the table, tennis table in particular. But it's an awesome space. But who wants to tell the story of in 2020, 2021, taking on a new big space and and growing rather than just consolidating in one of the most confronting years that small business has ever had? Look, that's probably one for me again, I suppose, because I was um, on board for the whole journey. And... I mean, initially, for the first two weeks of last year, we, I mean, all of us kind of thought we're going to roll up our sleeves and the beer dream's over and, you know, let's use our holiday pay and then we'll just, we'll all bow out of this kind of with dignity and, you know, I, like I literally thought my new career was a really bad kind of stay-at-home school teacher. I was just going to, you know. I, I never thought of, of dignity <laughs> when I was thinking of myself, so I'm glad that you were thinking of <laughs> dignity in your last two weeks in the industry. But no, no, look, um, yeah, I I think it was just it was it's been good timing for Blackmans and and what's going on here now in Grafdale is kind of you know what we would have hoped to always do and bring that good beer message to a broader audience and I guess this 
And, and look, I've, I have had a couple of pretty solid beers that you guys have made me drink this evening. So excuse me <laughs> if I um, get a little sidetracked. But I mean, what, what this um, venue is doing in Geelong is uh, hopefully it kind of it serves to invite other people into this craft beer space that, I mean, it can be hop driven, it can be this and that, but really it's just kind of getting involved in something that's that's pretty cool and it's a bit of fun. And I mean, the core of our kind of thing when it comes to beer and the beers we love, I mean, beers are best enjoyed with kind of good company and whether it's this beer or that beer, it, um, I, I hope our Geelong venue will serve to kind of um, people will come in and they'll, you know, maybe they will have a beer with good company and look around at what we're doing there and go, oh, gee, I, I never really thought about beer this much because, I, you know, I, we all live in this beer bubble and love beer and talk beer and kind of colleagues love beer and here we are on a beer podcast, but, you know, it's quite easy to forget that for a lot of people, beer is just, you know, it's really just the, the thing you drink at the barbecue and then, you know, to kind of get invited into the fold and, you know, pontificate or kind of enjoy a different beer or, you know, add an extra layer of, um, you know, nuance to your conversations and or your drinking, you know, I think that potentially the right craft beer venues, they do have the power to do that. And, I mean, we, we, we swing around and we talk about how we love good beer and this and that, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it just facilitates a good time with your mates. And, and, and I think, you know, that's one of those things that craft breweries and craft beers done is it kind of, you know, it's not just a $5, 10 a pot. Like it's kind of, it is the social lubricant and it can be more than just, you know, more than just a palmer and five, 10 a pot and getting drunk with your mates. And I, and I, and I think it's the right kind of brewery venue and staff and, you know, that kind of stuff that can, that can bring that stuff to life. And then potentially you can, you know, you can drink less and drink better and have a better time. And there you go. We, we live in selling the beer dream. I've got to say, mate, that that sounds a lot like the conversation we had the last time you were on, and in a really positive way about you know what you were doing in the other venues and just being a place where you know people come to catch up with mates and have a beer primarily, and then move into the world of craft beers and decide which of the ten beers or more that are on tap they're interested in, and start to explain that to their mates. And then from there, learn what makes beers work and how it all, what the process is that leads to them. I've got to say that, you know, when I was down there, then I, it really felt like there was a little table with, you know, Soldy and myself and a few others, you know, talking beer nerd stuff. But there's unquestionably people in that room that night who, um, who, who weren't part of the beer nerd community, didn't have beards like the rest of us do. Yeah. Well, I mean... Grovedale isn't exactly uh, the craft beer capital of Australia, so um, it's just great. I mean, I was I was there doing running some errands, and, and, and a guy walked in, and he's like, "Oh, is this is, is this the new brewery? Oh, I, I might come here for my Friday afternoon drinks." And he's in his fluoro, and he's uh, thinking of bringing his mates down from work. And I'm like, "That's great. That's exactly what we want. We want locals coming in there, drinking drinking beer, having a good time, but then." working their way through the taps and exploring craft beer and not just sticking to the, uh, to Carlton draft essentially. And yeah, it's exciting. It's, um, I don't think, I don't think Grovedale is ever going to be a destination, but it's, it's pretty cool to, to have it. Um, cause, cause at the moment there's nothing else. So yeah, hopefully it's a really good stepping stone, um, for good beer in, in G town. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did a, um, 
I had a bunch of staff from one of our surf coast venues come and meet me for some training there at uh, five o'clock. So I had about eight of them come through and we did a paddle and a brewing tour and all the rest of it. But the place, and by the time I had to rush out to get to this thing and I'd snuck a couple of pots in during the um, to the session. So I'm like, I've got to go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it was, the place was humming. And, and I mean, as Salty said, it's not, you know, I mean, there's a good percentage of our um known and loved Blackman's customers that we'd see at our other venues, but there's a whole bunch of new people who are just going, hey, you know, an area of town has got a brewery, let's go and check it out. And and at the end of the day, I mean, whether you love, like you just find one beer on that font of 16 that you enjoy and then you have a good food and a giggle with your mates or your family, I mean, you know. Yeah. The other question I've got, sorry, Travis, I kept on jumping. No, no, that's all right. You do, do what you need to do. Um, so, you know, we caught the uh, the train down to Geelong, had a beautiful weekend of watching the super boats out on the you know, eastern beach there. But the, the the Uber drivers, every Uber driver we got into, every restaurant we walked into, every bar we walked into Geelong, knew that the, uh, knew that the new venue was opening up. So what effort did you put into promoting things? Some said they'd heard some ads on the radio or bits and pieces. We've got a lot of hospo people in here. What's it like to open a new venue in a town like Geelong? How do you go about it? There you can. Yep. Sure. So, look, I mean, radio advertising and some of the bigger print media stuff that we've done kind of over the past 18 months is probably not something that we could have afforded or would have considered prior to COVID. Um but opportunity came up during last year to kind of get involved in that. And I mean, we started that kind of um, trying to share the message to people before the Geelong venue was, was um, locked in or kind of even, even commenced. But I mean, I think well, we did decide at the start of it that just to have a real good crack. And I mean, you know, we're a team that really believes in, in, in good beer and we, we kind of, I think when you talk passionately about something, people that, that, you know, stand around long enough to listen kind of get a little bit of a sense of it. And, I mean, I've seen, I've been running around in a Blackman's hat and, and hoodie. In fact, I think you hung a bit of shit on me last time for wearing a button <laughs> on the podcast. But, but um, I've been doing that in Geelong for five years. No one really says anything to you. But I've noticed over the past few months since the papers have been talking about this brewery and, and um, we've been on the radio that now people are coming up saying, oh, you work for Blackman's. Like, you know, I, I think if you're going to integrate yourself with part of a community, you've got to let them know. And then, and then, and then that transition from kind of small little niche cool brewery to kind of something that, that, that you know, speaks to a broader audience within your community is a, it's a tricky one. But, um, I mean, ultimately, I think whatever your beer tastes are, the fundamentals are probably still the same. And I mean, you know, well, the voice that we're speaking around here, I mean, we're just a bunch of people that kind of love beer and good times. And I think that's all we ever really say. And then anyone that listens is probably going to, you know, a lot of people are going to kind of go, hey, that's cool. But, but this, genuine. Always, this reminds me of the other, I've been pushing for so long. Every year I go down to Avalon Speedway a couple of times. When is finally going to a craft beer, you know, brewer going to sponsor a Speedway car? Because I reckon all you do is put Blackman's owned by locals, VB owned by you know internationals. You would uh, you'd convert ten thousand people in Avalon that night. Let's do it. <laughs> Excellent. Who's driving? <laughs> None of us. <laughs> We're driving the bus, apparently, Dave. 
Yeah, for a bloke who hasn't had a driver's license for about 20 or 30 years, by choice, I hasten to add, for anyone who's listening in from the Liberal Party, uh, <laughs> I've got to say, it's, I probably wouldn't be the best choice for that. Isn't uh, But you've, your lovely wife might be willing to drive the bus for us, David. Jen drove the bus for the Flimkin Bowls Club for 10 years back when we had a bus. Um, she ain't driving no buses anymore after that. I reckon we've got one or two more questions. Travis, you might have a question or two. We might even put Tristan on the spot for the traditional pool room, cool room question. And then we're going to have a couple of room questions and, um, and wrap things up. Um, Muggs, we'll put you as question number two. But Travis, have you got a couple of others you want to hit off with? Uh, I was kind of thinking that we should, we should bail Tristan up on the traditional cool room question. So, um, Tristan, who I'm guessing is still there, mate. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll see. Your video's off, so um, can you give us a story? This is literally the, the question we ask everyone. What is the most confronting, strange, amusing, explosive thing you've ever seen in a cool room? Well, um, yeah, I've spent a bit of time in cool rooms, I suppose. I was in, I worked in hospitality for a long time before moving into brewing. Uh, you know, working pubs and bakeries and whatnot as a kid and uh, so I've seen a few different things, including, you know, in brews, I've seen bright tanks bulging where they probably shouldn't be bulging. Um, <laughs> that's a bit of a scary one for any professionals out there. Um, what else, you know, you've seen stuff growing in corners that you don't know how to deal with. So you just put a shelf in front of it. Um, <laughs> all that sort of jazz. Don't do that anymore. Obviously that was in my first few weeks. Um, but I, look, I've got a bit of an interesting one. So when I was working hospo back Oh, this would be when I was about 19 or 20. Um, went in on a very, about a 43 or 44 degree day in the middle of January and found out that everyone in town had been running their air conditioners and it had tripped out the whole town's electricity. So I've gone into the pub that I was working at at the time and all the cool rooms have tripped. And they obviously haven't got to the point where anything's gone bad, but they've gone past the point where it's okay to still sell the food. So, you know, any meat or dairy that's in a cool room that's gone above, I don't know what the rules are, but yeah, there's a certain temperature where if it goes above a certain temperature, you can't sell it anymore. And of course, I think it was, you know, middle of January, so middle of school holidays in tourist town. Um, and so my, my task for the day basically became take photos of everything because we've got to send it all, we've got to send photos to the insurance company. So I spent a whole day pulling, you know, slabs of eye fillet and porterhouse and five and 10 kilo bags of cheese and stuff out of a fridge and taking photos of it. And um, I, I guess the part of the story that I enjoy the most is that because we couldn't sell it, I got to take home whatever I wanted. <laughs> so, you know, taking home slabs and slabs of, you know, high-end red meat and kilos and kilos of cheese to mum and go, hey, mum, we're never going to have to buy cheese again. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was probably, oh. I, I guess, the most frustrating uh, cool room story I've got, but uh, yeah, that is a classically cool room story. I've got uh, to say, tell you, um, oh, it was pretty new to me, and um, getting your head around some of those laws, you just go, this is uh, this is very frustrating, very wasteful. But um, I will enjoy quality. I feel it for the next six or eight weeks. Oh, perfect. Um, I feel like we've got a couple more questions from the room. Um. I'm looking through the chat. David, who are we throwing to next in relation to I think we're going to throw to Crofty first. But before I throw to Crofty, I'm going to note the fact that I believe he's been awake for two and a half months now. Uh, 
And um, for that reason, we reserve the right to edit Crofty's uh, question down to a manageable form as things go on. No, no. Crofty, we love you, brother. It's great to have you joining us. Unmute yourself, if you please, and ask your question to the guys from Blackwinds. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, obviously, I'm in the States. So I'm in New South Wales, and I do tend to drive around a fair bit. Um, I haven't, unfortunately, made it over to your side of of Melbourne yet. But uh, if I was to, I guess, uh, drive all the way down over to visit you guys, uh, I guess what I'm asking is, uh, what are your, I guess, top three things I should be doing apart from coming to visit Blackman's Brewery while I'm over that side of the world? Oh. I, well, that's a that's a very good question, Crofty. What time of year would you be coming down? Uh, all times of year, basically. So it, it, no. it doesn't bother me. I like the cold. I'm not a big fan of the heat. So yeah. Well, but, if you're uh, not a big fan of the heat, Geelong, Geelong and the Surf Coast is is the place to be because uh, it's pretty cold here. <laughs> what eight months a year of the year, to be fair. So. Um, I do Ooh. like Luke and Kim's response that they think there's a Kmart in Grovedale. I didn't see that personally. I saw a couple of servos. I think there uh, is a, Gro- a Kmart in Grovedale. I think I've actually yeah, been there. Yeah. Oh. But, but step it up. It's a 24-hour Kmart in Belmont, everyone. Yeah. So oh, stop true. the breath. Yeah. I, I have the I have one of those in Blacktown. Uh, I believe it is one. Of I did those. see the they office covered. of Darren Cheeseman MP as I was going out to the Grovedale place. So you know, I've done my due diligence on that front, but. I guess let's let's phrase it a different way. Which breweries? We we often used to ask this question back in the old days on the Corin. Which would be your favourite breweries or pubs in Melbourne, Geelong that you'd say to people go out and try these ones? Where are you enjoying hanging out again since lockdowns lockdowns ended? I um I snuck down to the um, Twelve Apostles in Port Campbell in just before the um at the end of the second Melbourne lockdown. And I'd been putting off a revisit down there for years just because of the traffic. And I did find myself at um, at Sound Piglets down there in Port Campbell, which is kind of a half kind of backpacker accommodation and half like uh, really good purveyors of kind of European styles of beer. And look, I had the gentleman doesn't hold this against me, but his hospitality skills weren't nearly as good as the brewer's European beer skills. <laughs> But I really, I really enjoyed a visit there, and he was up front, you know, about kind of the fact that it was just him there. So, you know, in all fairness, I don't think they expected many people. And, you know, the, uh, the 12 Apostles, there wasn't many people at all, but there was at least 12 people at his venue, and he probably got a little snowed under. But all the beers were really good, and um, I guess that's what I'd say. If you're coming down here, I'd sneak down and check out the 12 Apostles before the buses come back. I think that's a can I say that's a great suggestion yep. because it involves a genuine tourist attraction and a great place to drink. For overseas listeners, we've been picking up and I've got to say shout out to everyone in like Denmark and Ontario for some reason. We get all the data about where people are listening in. Can you explain what the Twelve Apostles are? It's not a religious thing and it's also not the name of a pub. Twenty seconds of what the Twelve Apostles are and why people need to drink them. Yeah, right. so the 12 apostles are these bunch of kind of big limestone pillars or limestone and whatever they're made of. But I think there's about seven apostles now. Most of them have fallen down. But it's basically tens of thousands of years and the, the, there's big kind of 50-metre 
50 metre, 40 metre cliffs kind of eroding and we ended up with 12 freestanding things that gradually fell down and now there's seven and most of the time you, for every photo of the Apostle you get, you get 1,500 tourists, um, whereas I definitely would advise sneaking down there shortly. And uh, look, I welcome every, all the tourists back too, don't get me wrong, but I put it off for years and then as soon as I realised there was no one down there, I shot down there and it was good beers and good times. Good answer. Good answer. Shall we move on to Muggsy's question? Do you want to unmute yourself and uh, try to rein this back in? Actually, what was my question? Oh, mate, I'm... your your question, I believe, was along the lines of what's the base? What's the grist for all of the uh, the needs? Oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. So my my question was, um, do you guys stick with the like with the um the very specific needs more um, beers. Do you stick with the same grist, same um, and a hopping regime, or do you actually swap it out depending on the hop? Because, you know, there's, there's obviously a difference between Idaho 7 and Citra and everything else. So do, do you custom make that, or do you just, like... Uh, you bang on, the, um, the grist is the same for all the brews. So that's kind of the whole, I think the whole thing behind it. Um, it as you, uh, it's, it's a fairly simple grist, a lot of, you know, base pale mold in it. So it ends up as a fairly dry beer, which also lets the hops shine through considerably. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah, like I said, that's the whole gist behind it. It's, it's all about showcasing and centering the, the specific hop. So basically everything up until we start, putting in back-end hops and dry hops and whatnot is, yeah, it's all the same. That's the most succinct answer we've had for anything in so long that it took me by surprise, I've got to say. <laughs> I think Muggs was trying to say something, but I don't know if he muted himself. No, he's back on mute like a good core room listener should be. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think we're almost at the end of our run here, guys. I mean, I'm curious on who finished the double at the beginning of the night. Who's got through the entire can? Oh, there's a few people that have thrown up their hands in the courtroom. David, I've still got this much left. Um, I didn't have the juicy banger to start with, though. So I'll, I'll say that. I've got guests in my front room, and I gave them like two-thirds of the can. And now I'm going to get off this thing, and I'm going to walk in there, and they're all going to be drunk. Eh. Guests in your front room sounds like a euphemism for something, but I'm not sure what. Well, we'll have to cover that in the next podcast. <laughs> hey, Crofty, there's your invitation. I've, I've got to let's use that as the opportunity to wrap up. Um, I'm very grateful for all you guys coming on and for Salty coming and um, making this actually happen. It's fantastic. I think you're the second, oh, sorry, you're the first time we've ever had a, a second visit. Second. Yes. Brewery, but Trav, why don't you do the wrap up and we'll um look forward to seeing everyone out at Hopheads next week. Yes, yes. Uh the first time we'll be live in a bar in uh I don't even know how long. I in fact I don't even think David Warren and I have actually been live in a bar before. So if you can get down and buy the tickets to that, uh check out the Facebooks, it's all on there. Um Paul, Tristan, Luke. You guys are absolute legends. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, we look forward to uh, the next time Paul 
goes to a different brewery and we can get him back on again. <laughs> no, I don't. Seven years. years, book it in. And uh, and uh, Luke, we'll see you in uh, twelve months' time, mate. Yeah, nice. Thank yeah. you for having us again. No pleasure, yeah, guys. Pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your night. Uh, the call room's going to stay open, or the Zoom room's going to stay open. Um, so we can all sit down and have a drink and finish the double. Uh, we will see you next week at Hopheads. Thank you. Got important things to deal with in the front room. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It was awesome. And I really loved my time down there the other night. I really, we had a ball as a family. So. Cheers, Dave. Thanks, Cheers, guys. Dave. Feel free to stick around.